Hey there, welcome to the Metro Minute, where if you're looking for the best practices in public schools, you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Melissa Baker, the Executive Director for the Metro Bureau. Today's podcast is just so timely because as educational leaders, you are planning right now for your district and school's professional learning this year. So today, we'd like to welcome Vicki Wilson. She's a local principal in Wyandotte, Michigan. She is also a consultant and an author of Lead with Instructional Rounds, Creating a Culture of Professional Learning. So welcome, Vicki. We're so excited to have you with us. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so glad to be here with you today, too, and excited to start this new school year. Wonderful. So before we start, could you share about your professional background a little bit, as well as your educational journey? Absolutely. So I'm kind of excited because I'm starting my 30th year in education this year, and it just feels like a big milestone. So my first 14 years was as a classroom teacher in the elementary level of school, two different districts. I worked first in St. Clair Shores at Lakeshore School for nine years and then came over to Wyandotte and worked as a teacher here in Wyandotte for five years before becoming an elementary principal in Wyandotte. And so this will be my 16th year in the role of elementary principal. Wow. Congratulations on all accounts. It's amazing. Um, And I know a little bit about the why behind this work that you've been doing, um, because I've had the, actually the pleasure of seeing you doing PD as well as reading your book. But if you could share a little bit of background about the why behind beginning this work with our audience. Yes, definitely. So, you know, a unique thing about becoming a principal in the school that, that I was working at, um, is that I became a fly on the wall in, in classrooms once I became a principal where I was colleagues with these same group of teachers. So as their colleague, I interacted like I would typically in collegial and um, had relationships and experiences with those that I worked with. And then when I became a principal and started going into their classrooms, I started to see something that I had never realized before and it hit me so hard that that I've worked with these people now for three years and prior to that I had worked with my other staff for nine years and had not seen them teach their students doing this most important work and I didn't realize the strengths that they were bringing into the classroom because my daily interactions with them and as, as a colleague didn't necessarily show that to me. So first becoming a principal, it just struck me of the power of being a fly on the wall in my colleagues' classrooms and realizing the strengths that I did not know that they had and how that could have made me a better teacher when I had worked, when I had been working with them. So that was percolating in my head for a bit. And um, two years after becoming the principal at McKinley, we had to close the school and merge it with another area, Wyandotte School, and brought those two schools together. So all the children, all the staff, or about most of the staff, all of the families to another school that were, these two schools were pretty polar opposite as far as how they had been run and the culture of them, and 
bringing all of that together, there was quite a divide between the two. So when we eventually started our work around instructional rounds and taking teachers into each other's classrooms, it really start, it really brought that division wall down, and we were finally able to really unite as one cohesive staff that appreciated each other because they saw each other through the strength and through what they were giving to their students in the classroom. It's so ironic, and you speak of this in your book, about how we the school structure is set up for really isolation of adult learning um, and isolation of teachers. And so if we want to grow as a school community, we really need to think about like the process that you're going to share with us today. So thanks for sharing the why. So in the book, you describe a strength-focused model. Can you talk about what that means and describe what that looks like in a school? Absolutely. So like I mentioned, we were my school was a divided staff once we merged the the schools together, and I knew that I had to figure out a way to bring these two groups together in a way that we can start to grow together, but also that they could learn to appreciate appreciate each other and become a cohesive staff. So in reading a lot about getting teachers into other teachers' classrooms, there was a lot of work around a problem of practice where we might take um, a group of leaders around and look for what is the problem we want to improve in our school, and then let's do our work in in making those improvements and giving feedback to teachers as we observe. So what I wanted to do was flip that script, if you will, and rather than looking for that deficit that we had, I wanted to go back to that thinking of when I became a principal and was completely shocked about being that fly in the wall and couldn't believe the things that I didn't know about the colleagues, the strengths that I didn't know about the colleagues that I had been teaching with. And so I flipped that script and instead of looking for deficits, we're I take teachers into classrooms and we're looking for the strengths that they're bringing into the classroom as far as instructional practices go that's having an impact on student learning. And as I take teachers in, they're, they're reflecting and they're looking at learning and looking at instruction. And then we step out in the hallway and talk about the positive things we saw as it relates to best practice instruction and the impact that's having on student learning based on what we observed in the classroom too. So that's what it means as far as that strength-focused model and flipping that and it really did help our team come together because as we began to talk about the strengths, even if they were on the other side of our two-sided school here, as we started to see that person through their strengths and see them put their heart and soul into teaching their children, it really crumbled that divided wall that we had between the two groups. And I appreciate in the book, the research you shared, um, that we know that organizations that focus on the strengths versus the weaknesses have increased performance. And so I appreciate the model that you yeah. created to really engage teachers in looking for the strengths when they're they're doing those instructional rounds. I thought that was very, very powerful. Thank you. And it also cites that, you know, when we are, when we're hounding on those weaknesses, then we find organizational research tells us that that performance declines when that's what we're looking at are those re- are those weaknesses or those deficits. 
Well, and it's the same that we want for our students, too. So we have to continue to think about the adult mm-hmm. learners in our community, too. So kind of leads me into my next question. So, um, you know, you did the blending of two schools, but we know that we have um, a variety of experience levels with our teachers. So how did you meet the needs of those teachers in your school? You know, you had the new teachers to the experienced master teachers, as well as, you know, kind of, again, blending those two schools together as well. Yes, definitely. Well, we've been doing this now at Monroe for 10 years, and 10 years into it, we are still growing no matter what our level is, no matter how much experience we have or if we're brand new to education. And I think that's because we we all have strengths that we are offering up, and we all then process what we're seeing a little bit differently based on what my, what we need. Let me try to explain that a little bit better. Um, so I'm going I'm going into a classroom and I'm going to go in and I'm I'm looking at instruction and I'm reflecting on what I see. And then the lens that I'm looking through is what I want to bring back to my students and grow from as an educator. So no matter where I am in my journey of being an educator, I'm always reflecting, I'm processing on what I what I need, and from what I'm seeing happening in a classroom, I'm taking that and applying it in, in the way that I need to apply it in my classroom. But another teacher next to me, they're reflecting on what they need and what they want to learn as they're going in a, in a classroom. And so they're processing that in their own way. Then we're all going out and we're having dialogue around best practice instruction. So while we're in there thinking about our own needs, we're going to bring it together through dialogue that's grounded in best practice and research. So we're grounding in that, and then we're taking that back to our classroom. And so I guess it's impacting each observing teacher differently, but that conversation around best practices is keeping it grounded in the right work. So whether you're brand new to it or you've been doing it forever, we, all, we are all in a place of growing, and we're all learning from each other. So one of the things I really appreciated was the chapter that had to deal with uh, beginning teachers. (laughs) And we know that teacher retention as well as um, hiring of new staff is so, so important. And what I really appreciated um, through reading was about kind of like the mentoring program. So we used to have the basic, here's what you need to know. Here's how you do your online grading. Here's how you find where the paper clips are, for lack of a better phrase. Um, but through this model, you're, you're engaging your new teachers very, very quickly where they have more than one mentor from, from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you speak a little bit about that for our people that are really trying to figure out their maybe mentoring program this school year? Yeah. Uh, one thing I read from NEA quite, quite a while ago is that there's three phases of mentoring and oftentimes, at least my experience as the principal and as a teacher, is we would partner a new teacher off with a veteran teacher as their mentor, and they get into a lot of that stage one of mentoring, or the stage one that NEA describes as stage one. And that is just the processes and the skills that go along with teaching. You know, those deadlines, those 
responsibilities we have, how to do report cards, et cetera. But there is a stage two and stage three of mentoring. And stage two is about developing the art and science of teaching. And, and in our everyday practice, being partnered up, we don't always get into that art and science of teaching. And then stage three is really deepening your understanding of best practices of instruction. So that's what the NEA cites as the three phases. And I believe that the instructional rounds can really help us dig into that stage two and that stage three that is often missed by just setting someone up with a partner and then not always giving them the time to really dig in deep with that. So, so our new teachers come in and, you know, I always give them a priority spot in all instructional rounds. Like if there are newbies and we want to take them under our wing and help them to develop. So by regularly going into classrooms all around the school, we go in for 10 minutes and then stepping out and having a five minute conversation with, with your facilitator and other teachers, including veteran teachers, about the research behind that practice and the art and the science around teaching and, and what we learn is making them pass on student learning is just taking them into that, that level two and that level three of mentoring and doing that over and over again really builds their capacity as a teacher. And then you also mentioned the retention, which right now is such a, such a topic in education and I feel like we're just fighting to find teachers and fighting to keep teachers. And and one thing I I have to say is when we go on instructional rounds, it is my favorite day of the month. We do it monthly at my school. And my teachers are in just such a good mood after experience, experiencing instructional rounds. And my best way to describe it is it's giving us an hour and a half to just pause in the chaos of a day because our days can get pretty chaotic and stepping out of our classroom, knowing that our children are with someone and they are, they're going to be just fine for an hour and a half and then go and watch our colleagues eat and have some time to reflect on it and process it and think about how can I grow my practice based on something I saw and think about how am I validating the work I'm doing based on something I saw. And it puts some joy back into the work and gives us that moment to just take a breath and learn and grow and grow together with those that we're talking with and those that we're working with. So I do believe it can bring us some more, some more joy into the work that we're doing when we can give this time to our teachers. Well, you've created such a safe professional learning environment, too. And I, I mean, I think we could talk all day for sure. I have a couple more quick questions, but I, I also... <laughs> we could talk all day. I know. <laughs> this is just amazing. Um, but I, I, it's it's the safety, it's the trust, and you speak about that in the book, the kind of the criteria that you set before the instructional rounds each time so people know that they're in a safe and professional learning environment. So I think that's part of where the joy comes from and focusing on the strengths. Um and then also, you know, what I really enjoyed seeing or reading, I should say, is about the vertical observation. So it's it's not just that second grade teachers are just staying with second grade teachers. Your fifth grade teachers are going to kindergarten, including you had a high school come and visit your school, too, yes. and learn so much. Because as you share, and I believe myself, best 
practice instructional strategies are best practices. And so those can those can go across the board um, completely. So having an opportunity to you know, see someone in the classroom, whether it's the classroom management strategies or their instructional best practice strategies, and then reflecting on your own practice, and then what can I go back and and try? Um, it takes away. It, it's a. It's a. Well, I shouldn't say it takes away. It, it gives you a sense of being able to do a good risk. And so, um, and again, it kind of leads me into my next question. So, when you yeah. found teachers to be apprehensive to participate, you know, how did you navigate that, or what would your advice be to people that are thinking this is something I really want to do this year? Yeah, definitely. Most importantly, you have to make it safe for your teachers to to want to do it and to participate in it. But you also have to honor that they're all on their own timeline as well. You know, so once again, I, I it, it's grassroots, right? It's coming right from our school. It's grown right within our school. We're not bringing in other administrators or anything from the district to, to start it off. We're starting it off on our own, and it remains our own. Um, in order to make it safe, I start with volunteers. So who, you know, first teaching them about it, we come up with our agreements. Like, what are the agreements that we're going to have in order to do this? It's systematic in, in that it is predictable each month. It always looks and feels the same, but our conversations change based on the observation that we're seeing. So that consistency provides some safety coming up with some agreements. And the most important one that we have in our school is that we will only talk about the positive that we see in classrooms today. And we'll learn from those positives and think about how we want to grow our own, grow ourselves by looking at our colleagues. Um, In those agreements, I'll even say, and you know, talking about the positives, we know that they, that we have imperfect children at, at our school. We know that as adults, we're imperfect all the time, every day. And I think by acknowledging that we're not expecting it to be perfect, but in what we see for ten minutes, what we're going to pull out is some sort of positive or some sort of strength that's connecting the best practice instruction. I think that helps. You know, some, some teachers are going to be ready to go and jump in right away. And before you even finish talking about what it's going to be, they're, they're ready to go. I'll host, I'll observe whatever you want me to do. You know, grab those teachers to, to kick it off because you need somebody to start opening their room because I think that's, that's where the biggest threat comes in is I'm going to open my door and expose what I'm doing, and that's making me very vulnerable. Um, I do some writing in the book around the feeling brain and the thinking brain, and I like to say that your feeling brain will completely hijack your thinking brain if you don't take care of it. So in the thinking brain, we want our brain to contemplate and reflect and process and plan and think and and affirm what we're seeing, but admire so that we can become better versions of ourselves and all those things we want our thinking brain to do. But if there is any kind of perceived threat or a lack of boundaries or not enough guidelines or, or anything that that thinking brain needs to truly, I'm sorry, feeling brain needs to truly get into that thinking brain zone, and we're not going to get what we want to out of that instructional realm. We're not going to 
be in there to grow and learn. So volunteers are important. Creating those agreements are important. Um, knowing what that feeling brain needs so that your thinking brain can, can do what it needs to do. The other thing I think is really important is because it's a strength-based model based on positive talk, um, that deficit piece is really hard to overcome as far as making that brain feel safe. So making sure that that positive nature is always upheld and no one veers from that and, and, and the leader or the facilitator, if that is ever, ever not followed, needs to, you know, we're, we're not perfect. And I always say that, like, we will make mistakes and it's okay. But if, if one of our agreements isn't upheld, that as the leader, we, we um, talk to that person about it and find out what happened and hold that person accountable for taking responsibility for that and making it right and assuring that it won't happen again. So we've got to make sure that that piece is in place too. Because if we allow it for a moment to become unsafe or we do something we say we weren't going to do, um, that could tear it apart really quickly. Well, and I appreciate in the book that you really give a the playbook for instructional rounds. Um, it's a great tool and resource um, so that there's no surprises to the participants. And, you know, three of my big takeaways were, you know, also keeping the door open when they go out for those conversations out, out outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that creates that safety and trust. And then, again, as we've shared the entire podcast, like focusing on the strengths only. And then the one thing we didn't touch on yet is how you have them do the written positive feedback to the host teacher uh, before, you know, yeah. that, that's a part of the process. It's so important because, again, it builds that trust and community. Um, and then they do their own reflection about, you know, some question that's posed by the facilitator about, you know, kind of what are they, what is their takeaway? What are they going to ask more about? What are their wonderings or what are they going to do in their own classroom? So um, it's just, again, such a strong um, opportunity for professional development and school and individual growth that is right there hands-on in the school. Um, and I know um, in the book, too, you talked about, you know, your title building, um, mm-hmm. and that covered a lot of your costs. As I was reading through the book, too, I was thinking about for our school districts, they need to do their state-required MTSS and 31A handbooks and how they embed in their school improvement plans, their strategies. This is ongoing and powerful, and I'm sure this could be utilized as a strong strategy um, for all of those pieces to kind of weave all those different requirements together. Yeah, absolutely. And Melissa, you, if I can funnel back to this one, you mentioned that validation piece, and I forgot to mention that as far as the, the reducing that apprehension. Like, again, going back to that feeling brain, that feeling brain needs to be validated and affirmed all the time in order to be able to process and contemplate and think. Um, so we do tie a lot of validation moments into the process and make sure the host leave with or get a whole bunch of note cards in their mailbox, giving them very specific feedback on the positives that happened in their classroom that day. And then you're also de- you're also right about that. Um, you know, there's so much learning that we have to do and so much of it's coming at us for our teachers as well as for leaders and Instructional Rounds allows us to take those one-and-done type professional learning, whether we are reading a book or we have a speaker come in, and then we can keep that living 
throughout our building by once we see that happening positively in a classroom, bringing conversation out around it and talking about that implication that's that's having on the learners. So it's constantly keeping the learning that you're doing alive and in conversation around your school. So I love the commitment to both student and adult learning in your school, Vicki. Um, and again, I yeah. learned so much. I feel like I, I, my highlighter went dry. Um, <laughs> I, probably, <laughs> I probably overused the highlighter, but I just there was just so much to unpack and take away and think about, reflect on myself as an educator. So is there anything else that you'd like to add to our conversation today? I know we've covered a lot in this podcast, and there's, there's so much more that, that could be shared as well. Uh, well, I'm, I'm impressed with your highlighter. It's such a small little book and such an easy read. So thank you for saying that. Um, there, there's a lot in it, but it's, a, it's definitely an easy read. And I guess what I'd like to read, to leave everyone with is, you know, first I want to say thank you for being out there and, and doing this work that's been really hard in the past few years and, um, educators have taken a lot of hits from many directions, and I think it's time that we um, we can bring down those walls of the classrooms because we can finally start to share spaces again, and this is an opportunity to um, take your school, I would say, to a new level, and, and I do feel like our school, with that merger through the work of Instructional Rounds, we we actually had a whole new identity. We weren't two separate schools any, anymore. We were one school, and we identified as a school that values adult learning as much as student learning, and that's kind of the path we're staying on, and I, I'm proud of that. So, Vicki, thank you so much for sharing this important work with us. And for our listeners, please pick up a copy of Vicki Wilson's book, Lead with Instructional Rounds, Creating a Culture of Professional Learning. I got mine on Amazon. And like I said, the book is just filled with stories and strategies for implementing instructional rounds to not only improve instructional practices, but to increase student achievement. But most importantly, there's that you know school culture piece, the adult learning as well as student learning piece. Um, and I'm with Vicki. Um, such important work you all are doing out there. And... To all of our educators, we wish you an amazing start to the 2022-2023 school year. Take care, be safe, and enjoy each other, and take down the walls. Have a great day. Thanks so much for learning with us on the Metro Minute. This cast is powered by K-12 Media, always keeping schools communicating with their communities. By the way, we'd love to see your comments or questions on this cast. Be sure to hit the like and subscribe button so you're always notified of our up-and-coming episodes. Don't forget to visit our website at metrobureau.org if you're looking for anything in public education in southeastern Michigan. We're so excited to see you next time for the Metro Minute.